For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Two hunters in Wyoming were severely beaten last month by two other hunters who claimed the Wyoming man had stolen their elk. Dawson Handley and Joseph Boster were part of an elk hunting group in the upper Grays River area of western Wyoming, according to the Cowboy State Daily. There, they encountered another group of hunters that included the alleged assailants, 35-year-old Jared Alquin and 30-year-old Shea Sanchez. Alquin and Sanchez told Handley and Boster that they'd shot a bull elk and a cow elk. They were in the process of cleaning the cow, but they hadn't located the bull. The two groups of hunters went their separate ways, Not long after, Handley and his group discovered a cow elk that had been partially processed but still contained a lot of meat. Handley told investigators that he took the tenderloins off that carcass. It is unclear whether that was the same cow Algwin and Sanchez had killed. Later, Handley and Boster found a bull elk that didn't look like it had been touched. Another hunter in their party put his tag on the bull, and the group processed the meat and took it back to their camp. That's according to an affidavit written by a Lincoln County Sheriff's Office detective. Now, maybe this goes without saying, but if you find an elk in the woods, especially if you've been told by another group that they're looking for a bull, uh, just leave it alone. When you get cell service, call a conservation officer. If you're really concerned about it, you could field dress the thing, help out, make sure the meat won't spoil. Anyway, later that afternoon, Handley and Boster were hunting by themselves out of a UTV when they ran into Algwin and Sanchez. As you might imagine, these guys weren't happy. They demanded to know where their bull was, but Algwin told me Handley and Boster denied that they'd harvested any elk that day. This is where things got a little crazy. Handley and Boster claimed that the other pair started the fight, but Algwin told me that Boster was the first one to take a swing at Sanchez. 
Alguin says they had threatened to involve authorities about the stolen elk, which is when Boster got out of the vehicle and started throwing punches. It's a real, uh, he said, he said situation. Alguin claims they were acting entirely in self-defense, but initial reporting indicates that Handley and Boster were on the losing end of the fight. Handley broke his jaw and suffered other serious injuries. His father told the Cowboy State Daily that he'll need multiple surgeries. The fight ended when Sanchez's uncle yelled at the younger men to knock it off. As Alguin and Sanchez were leaving, they also allegedly stole Boster's backpack, which contained, quote, several expensive hunting-related items, which is a funny way to, you know, refer to matches and toilet paper like most folks' backpack have in them. I think it's safe to say that we haven't heard the end of this story. It's unclear why Handley and Boster's group processed a bull elk they hadn't shot. Did they assume the other group wouldn't want the meat? Or were they really just trying to steal someone's kill? While there's still a lot of questions to be answered, local prosecutors believe they have enough evidence to charge Alguin and Sanchez with aggravated assault and battery, as well as theft. As of this recording, Handley and Boster haven't been hit with any charges, but they probably won't have to hold their breath too long. This week, legislation, quail, and veterans on the hunt. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. In my week, well, it's looking cold, friends and neighbors. I am pre-recording this episode a week ahead of time so I can spend a week of vacation in the wilderness, a place with a capital W, chasing mule deer. I'm meeting up with my friend Brad Brooks at Argali Outdoors, which you may recognize from their line of game bags and other cool items, as well as our buddy Kronk, who is, as his last name suggests, a person specially equipped with the mental capacity to suffer for long periods of time in the cold, snowy mountains. Pull the lever, Kronk. Roll lever! This is a long one. Ten days of camp on the back, dehydrated food, and hopefully some buck meat. I'll let you know how it all went. Moving on to the corrections desk. As many of you pointed out, I misspoke on the Wyoming woman who was attacked by a mule deer in her front yard. I said whitetail in there somewhere, which many of you caught on to. If you get confused in the future, mule deer are generally larger than whitetail. Their antlers have two main beams that continue to split and create more points. Whitetail antlers have a single main beam on each side that sprouts points as it grows. Mule deer ears are also generally larger, and they have a white rump with a black-tipped tail. The tail of a whitetail is only white on the underside. Mule deer are generally considered a western species, while whitetail rule the east. However, they do overlap in certain areas of several western states, including Colorado, Texas, Montana, and Idaho. Another listener wrote in to ask what I thought was a great question about the commercialization of wildlife. In my coverage of the dog food company that sells hunter-harvested elk and deer, I said that whenever wildlife and commercial enterprises mix, wildlife usually loses. This listener pointed out that's not always the case when it comes to fisheries. There are several fisheries in the United States that do a great job maintaining healthy populations and at the same time producing economic output. That's some great context that I should have included. It is possible, given enough oversight and enforcement, to make money on wildlife without endangering the resource. Of course, oversight and enforcement, as well as, you know, good old human behavior, is the key caveat. Now, quick break for you Latin folks. Cavit, C-A-V-E-A-T, is an old Latin phrase from a dead language, which is Latin, correct? I believe a V in Latin 
is actually a W type of sound. So the original Latin phrase would be caveat emptor, which means buyer beware. You can go ahead and track me down if that's not correct. Stay on the oopid stay. Who you call an oopid stay? Anyway, fisheries certainly aren't immune to the predations of the market. Many people don't know that black bass, which include the ever-popular largemouth and smallmouth bass, nearly went extinct in the early decades of the 20th century. Market hunters killed them by the thousands, and it wasn't until anglers and lawmakers stepped in that the species started to rebound. Point is, conserving wildlife requires careful oversight. Many fisheries have exactly that, but as far as I can tell, the elk meat dog food market in Utah doesn't. That's why it makes me nervous. Moving on. Speaking of old stuff like Latin, you know that old Charles Dickens novel, A Tale of Two Cities? It was the one that starts, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Well, sometimes following conservation kind of feels like that. On one hand, we've seen several stories over the last week that prove it's possible to save species from the brink of extinction. For example, older listeners may remember a big fight in the 1970s over a tiny endangered fish called the snail darter. This fish, from the southeastern portion of the U.S., was the subject of a legal battle that blocked the construction of a dam for two years and eventually made it to the Supreme Court. It was one of the first tests of the Endangered Species Act as environmentalist groups went toe-to-toe with the Tennessee Valley Authority, or TVA. The fish were eventually scooped up and moved to another river, and the dam was allowed to be constructed. Now, nearly 50 years later, the U.S. Department of the Interior has announced that the snail darter has recovered enough to remove it from the endangered species list. It was downgraded from endangered to threatened in 1984, and recovery efforts have been so successful that the population has been deemed healthy. It is the fifth fish species and the first in the eastern United States to be delisted because the population has recovered, according to the agency. Colorado Parks and Wildlife also announced recently that the greenback cutthroat trout has been reproducing naturally in Colorado waters. This is a big deal because the fish was considered extinct back in 1937. Then in 2012, a population was discovered in Bear Creek near Colorado Springs, and the recovery efforts began. Today, greenback populations exist in four South Platte Basin streams, but only the fish in Herman Gulch have existed long enough to reach adulthood and begin reproducing. The greenback cutthroat is the state fish of Colorado, so all you centennial state residents should be happy you don't have to pick another. So that's the best of times. Now for the worst of times. The Alaska Department of Game and Fish announced last week it had canceled the winter snow crab season in the Bering Sea due to the shrinking snow crab population. Which means any of you folks who frequent uh, Asian buffets in all the small towns in the Midwest and West, you're going to be hurting because there's no snow crab on the menu. Biologists say the population has dropped by a whopping 90% in the last two years, which equals about 1 billion crabs. That's billion with a B. Scientists are still investigating the cause. Some believe disease has played a role. Others think warming ocean temperatures have kept the cold water loving crabs from thriving. Whatever the reason, the decision is devastating for crabbers who make their livelihood on catching snow crabs in the Bering Sea. In an even more concerning trend, Populations of monitored vertebrate species around the world have dropped by an average of 69% from 1970 to 2018, according to the World Wildlife Fund Living Planet Report. The drops have been more or less drastic from region to region, 
Monitored populations in Latin America and the Caribbean dropped 94% on average. That's 94% on average. On the other hand, monitored populations in North America declined by 20%, and Europe and Central Asia saw declines of 18%. It's important to keep in mind that this report takes a huge number of species into account. Researchers have been tracking nearly 32,000 species of mammals, birds, amphibians, reptiles, and fish. And, as we've just covered, not all of them are on the decline, but it's clear that from this 30,000-foot view, we're not exactly trending in the right direction. Climate change is driving some of this decline, and it's forcing species to adapt and behave in unusual ways. Mountain goats and bighorn sheep are battling over climate-limited resources in Montana's Rocky Mountains, which isn't a behavior scientists have often documented. That's according to a study recently published in Frontiers of Ecology and Evolution and covered in Scientific American. Researchers observed mountain goats driving off bighorn sheep from muddy mineral deposits left by melting glaciers. Road construction projects have destroyed many lower elevation mineral licks, so these animals have turned to these new, more limited locations. In case you're wondering, because I know you are, mountain goats won these battles. In 98% of 120 documented run-ins, goats bluffed, the billies bluffed the rams. Most battles didn't come to blows. The sheep usually took one look at the goat's saber-like horns and got out of dodge. Of course, these aren't the only interspecies conflicts to be found in the scientific literature. According to this study, scientists have documented about two dozen recent examples of conflicts brought about by changing climate. Feral horses, for example, have been observed chasing pronghorns, mule deer, and bighorn sheep away from waterholes in the American West. Conflicts are inevitable as the climate forces animals into different locations. As with the sheep and the goats, the question is, who will come out on top? I bet Vegas has a line on that one, and you're probably going to win money if you bet on the sheep. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it, and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 
Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Down in Florida, the mahi-mahi population is facing another kind of threat. Florida recreational charter boat captains are claiming that commercial fishing is depleting the population of the mahi-mahi. Commercial operations use pelagic long line that can be over 10 miles long and fitted with over 1,000 large J-hooks to catch the tasty fish. Charter anglers say this is why their customers are catching smaller mahi-mahi than in generations past. Of course, the mahi-mahi catch is driven primarily by recreational anglers. In 2020, commercial fishermen harvested more than 275,000 pounds of mahi-mahi in the Atlantic and Gulf of Mexico. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, that same year, recreational fishermen harvested more than 63 million pounds of the fish in the same waters. While it's sickening to find miles of discarded fishing line in the ocean, commercial fishing only represents about 4% of the total mahi-mahi catch. That's probably why even recreational anglers are calling on state and federal authorities to reduce bag limits. A petition launched in October of last year by Florida Sportsman is asking the South Atlantic Fishery Management Council to reduce the bag limit for recreational boats from 54 to 30 fish. They also want to impose a 2,000-pound maximum trip limit for commercial fishers and impose a 20-inch minimum in all places it doesn't currently exist. So far, the council has not implemented these suggestions. Also known as dolphin fish, mahi-mahi means strong-strong in Hawaiian. If you've ever hooked into one, you know why. They're big, fast-swimming fish that are known for jumping high and giving anglers a run for their money. Large specimens can weigh as much as 50 pounds, and they can swim upwards of 50 miles an hour. The coolest thing about mahi-mahi is how they look. Males have large, protruding foreheads, and both males and females sport bright turquoise green and yellow patterning. Oddly enough, those bright colors begin to fade almost immediately after they die. It would be an overstatement to say that the mahi-mahi population is in trouble, but I hope lawmakers and fisheries managers take the concerns of anglers seriously because we're the ones paying the tab. Moving on to the quail desk. These are bad times for many species, but advances in technology are giving biologists some of the tools they need to turn things around. As we've covered before, population estimates are an essential component of any conservation plan. You don't know a species is in trouble unless you can accurately estimate how many critters are on the landscape. 
The problem is that these estimations can take time and money that could be spent on actually improving and protecting habitat. Researchers at the University of Georgia think they have a solution, at least when it comes to quail. Biologists can estimate quail populations by listening for calls rather than actually seeing the elusive upland birds. Normally, this requires actually sitting in a field for hours or leaving a recorder in the field and then reviewing that recording. New software developed by University of Georgia researchers could significantly reduce this workload by analyzing massive amounts of audio data and identifying how many quail calls the recorder picked up. They report that the software picks up between 80 and 100% of the calls even in the noisiest environments. What's more, because the software uses artificial intelligence, it will get even more accurate as it's used by state and federal wildlife agencies. We've covered this kind of tech on the podcast before, and it's part of a larger trend. Biologists are turning to machine learning software to do everything from predict migration routes to catch poachers, and I'm hoping these tools help reverse some of the negative trends we've been seeing. Moving on to the legislative desk. Our most powerful conservation tool will always be science-based wildlife policy, and there are lots of opportunities for hunters and anglers to get involved. In Utah, the increasing popularity of elk hunting is forcing the state's Division of Wildlife Resources to propose a new plan to manage elk populations. The current plan is expiring, and Dax Mangus, the big game coordinator for the Utah DWR, told local media the new plan is meant to address concerns about obtaining a permit with overcrowding during the hunting season. For example, one proposal would divide the current 13-day general season any bull elk hunt with any legal weapon into two separate seven-day hunts. Another would add six additional general season hunting units to the any bull elk hunt. And other proposals would change the seasonal dates for the archery hunt. The agency is also proposing redefining the restrictions on certain means of take to allow for even more special handgun, archery, rifle, and muzzleloader seasons. Those are just a few of the proposals, so if you live in Utah, now's the time to review the new elk plan and make your voice heard. Up in Ontario, Canada, the provincial government is proposing changes to its housing policy that will have serious impacts on wetlands conservation. In an attempt to build 1.5 million new homes over the next 10 years, the province has proposed the More Homes Built Faster Act of 2022. The name tells you pretty much everything you need to know. To build more homes faster, the legislation would prohibit conservation authorities from considering pollution or land conservation when assessing whether or not to grant building permits. You know, small stuff that doesn't really matter, like pollution and land conservation. The proposed changes would also force conservation officials to identify public land suitable for housing developments and institute a variety of changes to make development happen faster and, quote, streamlined. As you can imagine, these sorts of policies are extremely troubling to the folks who use these lands to hunt and fish. One listener named Sam wrote in to tell me that these are areas overwhelmingly wetland and have some of the best waterfowl habitat in the province. It's some of the only public land available to hunt in large swaths of the southern Ontario, and it's where Sam does 90% of his hunting. In fact, the weekend before he wrote me the email, he said he'd just gotten two, quote, Nice honkers. I'm assuming honker is a goose, so all you hosers up in Ontario should get involved before they start building neighborhoods on honker habitat. 
And all you hosers south of the border who like to hunt honkers, keep in mind, they fly. And what's good for wetlands in Ontario is very good for hunters all the way down to Alabama. In New Mexico, a wildlife bill passed in 2019 is starting to have positive effects. The Wildlife Corridors Act was a first-of-its-kind legislation that required New Mexico's agencies to protect migratory habitats used by animals like elk, mule deer, and pronghorn. In accordance with that law, the New Mexico Department of Transportation and the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish just released the final Wildlife Corridors Action Plan. The plan identifies 10 wildlife vehicle collision hotspots that these agencies will be focusing on in the coming years. I admit I haven't read the entire 756-page report, but I can tell you it includes an extensive analysis of each hotspot and proposes things like overpasses and underpasses to help these big game animals make their yearly migrations without ending up in the radiator of a semi-truck. Sounds like a win to me. Speaking of wins, I have some great news from Pennsylvania. Back in episode 167, we discussed Senate Bill 431, which authorized the sale of antlerless deer licenses through the Commonwealth's new Hunt Fish PA website. The bill was designed to modernize an old system that required hunters to purchase their antlerless tags through the county treasurers via mail and pay by check. It sounds like a no-brainer, but Don Rank, the Pennsylvania chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, told me it faced some opposition in the legislature. I'm happy to report that thanks to the hard work of Pennsylvania hunters, the legislature just passed the bill and it's headed to the governor's desk. The bill passed by wide margins in both chambers, and I'd be shocked if Governor Tom Wolf tried to veto it. Still, it doesn't hurt to send the governor a quick note of support. And while you're at it, see if your state representative voted for the bill. And if they did, give them a quick thanks. Most of the calls and emails legislators receive are from people who, uh, you know, want to tell them uh, things that aren't nice. I know they appreciate it when people stop to say thank you, and it'll make them more likely to take calls from hunters in the future. Moving on to the Veterans Desk. Veterans Day was on Friday. Thanks to all the folks in our armed forces who have served or are serving. I'm thankful for the sacrifices you've made to protect our country, and I want to make sure you know about the groups and programs that help veterans get out in the field. There are a lot of state and national organizations that host hunting and fishing trips for vets and give them a chance to connect with other hunters and anglers. Operation Injured Soldiers takes disabled veterans on tailored hunting or fishing trips. They've held over 1,000 events across the country. Other similar groups include Heroes Hunting, Freedom Hunters, Wounded Heroes Hunting Camp. At the state level, groups like United Veterans of Michigan give vets a chance to connect with other local hunters and get plugged into a like-minded community. I spoke with Dave Locker, who served in two tours of combat with the Marine Corps from 2003 to 2007. He went on a pheasant hunt and a muskie trip with Operation Injured Soldier, and he's also been involved with a Michigan group called Vets with Nets. He'd never been pheasant hunting or muskie fishing, and he landed two good-sized muskies on his trip. He also told me how hunting and fishing are great activities for veterans who have returned home from combat. What really helps with uh, hunting and fishing is just the solitude of being out there. It's quiet, it's calm, and you just get to be at peace and just focused on the one thing. It just takes a crazy world and it just makes it simple and relaxing. It's probably the best way to describe it. You just forget about everything else going on. 
Additionally, if you are a veteran or still an active service, you can always check out Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Armed Forces Initiative. They have multiple chapters right now, and they help connect service members with hunting opportunities. At the minimum, they're going to help you connect with other folks who like to hunt and angle and are probably more familiar with those opportunities on the base you just showed up to. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Also, if you were chucking wood in the stove like it was going out of style this week as the temperatures finally dropped, you may be in the market for a new chainsaw. Go to www.steeldealers.com to find a local, knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need and not try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and burnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.